House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. So joining us today to talk about uh, his latest book on that subject, I Was a Teenage JFK Conspiracy Freak, is Ottawa author Fred Litwin. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's great to be great to have, Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So, so Fred, uh, now it seems like most people, you know, when you do Gallup polls and things, um, it's as low as twenty, thirty percent that think Oswald acted alone. It's, it's still pretty low. Um, so, yeah. so when you're going against that kind of a theory, um, how does that feel? <laughs> well, I, I think. Um you know what's really interesting is it's from two since two thousand the tide is turning, and so uh, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of people who believe that Oswald did it alone since two thousand. It's more than doubled uh, to over thirty percent, and I think that's due to the fact that a lot of good new books have come out saying that Oswald was the lone gunman, and on the internet um, you can now fight back against conspiracy authors, conspiracy critics um, with the facts. Uh, so I say slowly, slowly. I think the tide is actually turning. So uh, what was your first experience with JFK? How, how did it come across to you when it happened? Well, I was, I was seven years old when he was killed. I was in grade two uh, quite a long time ago in Montreal. Uh, we were sent home early from school on a Friday afternoon. That's about all I could remember. Uh, but I got into the case in 1975, when I was watching the Geraldo Rivera show on a Thursday night, and he played the Zapruder film for the first time. And I was, like everybody else, I was stunned. I felt like there had to be a conspiracy. Uh, I had to know more than what was on the show, and that got me heading off to the library to start my, uh, my research. So when you're doing research for something like this, and you're going to libraries or if you're uh, looking for people that, were witnesses and, and all sorts of things. What kind of a uh, reaction do you get from uh, regular people out there? Well, it, it depends on when, you know. I mean, obviously, in the beginning, there were a lot of people back in 75 who were like, uh, well, you know, you're, uh, you're slightly crazy, you know, there's nothing to this case. A lot of people um, um, thought I was a bit nuts for really becoming somewhat obsessed. Uh, when I was writing my book uh, a couple of years ago, started writing my book, um, a lot of people uh, over the years had really sort of internalized the conspiracy stuff, and they all thought, oh, there's something to this. Wasn't there something crazy? Wasn't there a second gunman? What about Jack Ruby? They really didn't know what had happened. People still weren't sure, uh, but they thought there was something funny. And I got a lot of funny looks when I started talking about uh, my research and the fact that I finally had convinced myself that Oswald was, was the lone gunman. What, 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 when, would, when did that happen? What was the exact moment and, and the last thing that you had to find out that switched you over from the, some sort of conspiracy to it's Oswald? I, I was living in England in, in 1992, 1993, and there were a couple of JFK groups in England, and I joined these groups. Um, I met a lot of people who believed in conspiracy, and one of them lent me a bunch of newsletters by this researcher by the name of Paul Hoke, Paul Hawk. Paul was a very good researcher based in um, 
in Berkeley, and he had this incredible newsletter. It was almost like a modern-day blog at the time, but it was a newsletter where he basically gave his opinion on everything that was going on with books, movies, documents, and news. And I spent an evening going through Paul's uh, newsletters, and he had started out as a, as a conspiracy theorist. And as I read his newsletter, newsletters going forward, there just were a number of small little items that caught my attention and got me to really think about things. And one of the things that he mentioned in his newsletters was that the House Select Committee on Assassinations had done an awful lot of scientific tests on the case, and that every scientific uh, test they had done came back in support of a lone gunman. And that got me thinking, and uh, I was lucky enough at the time that the House Select Committee on Assassinations, their 12 volumes of evidence, was released on CD-ROM. And I bought the CD-ROM and uh, started reading it, and I was stunned at all those tests, photographic, ballistics, fingerprinting, handwriting, forensic pathology, all the tests that they had done that came back in support of a lone gunman. And that's how I began to change. So, so when we talk about... Um um, different reviews of the assassination. Um, one of the biggest, um, I don't know if you want to say complaints, or one of the biggest um, items that conspiracy theorists talk about is the Warren Commission and the appointment of Alan Dulles, of course, who had been fired um, from JFK. So a lot of people connect yeah. that. Um, what's your thought on the whole Warren Commission and Alan Dulles? Well, I think they get that wrong. It was Robert Kennedy who wanted... Alan Dulles on the Warren Commission, and the reason that Kennedy wanted Dulles on the Warren Commission was that Dulles performed an important uh, thing for the for, for the CIA. Dulles knew the secrets that the mob and the CIA were in cahoots to assassinate Castro, along with anti-Castro Cubans. He had to make sure that secret was kept. And I think Robert Kennedy wanted to make sure that that secret was kept from the Warren Commission. And I think that's why he wanted Alan Dulles on, on the commission. Okay. So, so, yeah. It's a different point of view. So, um, when we get, get through the um, Warren Commission idea, now, did, have you had a chance to read the Warren Commission or look through it? Oh, I, I had, I've read the Warren Commission report. I have the 26 volumes of evidence in my house. So yeah. I've gone through that for many, many years. <laughs> What's Okay, so now the magic bullet th theory, as a lot of other conspiracy theorists say, yep. is impossible, and that um, uh, not only the magic bullet, but the point that uh, Oswald could shoot from the window and and hit, and uh, the, his, his weapon wasn't going to be good enough, and he wasn't good enough shot. Um, talk to me about that. Okay, well, on first... Uh, Oswald was uh, qualified as a sharpshooter in the U.S. Marines. Um, that's something. He wasn't just uh, some schlemiel who had no training in, on rifles. He had a lot of training in rifles. He was a sharpshooter, and the shots weren't that difficult. The first shot that hit Kennedy was around 55 yards away. The headshot was 85 yards away, and he might have had as long as eight seconds to take his three shots. That's not that hard. It's definitely within his capability as a marksman. 
the single bullet theory, I call it the single bullet fact. Um, I was stunned when I went through the House Select Committee on Assassinations and I took a look at their trajectory analysis. And all of a sudden I saw true diagrams that showed that Kennedy and Connolly were completely lined up to receive a shot um, based on, what, on their positions in the Zapruder film. And it lined up completely with the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. I had never seen those diagrams in the conspiracy books. And so the single bullet theory, it's a, it's a fact. It's, it's what happened. And it completely fix, uh, fits everything we know. So why do you think that, um, in general, I don't know who you want to call the government or somebody on, on the Warren Commission single shooter theory, um, doesn't publicly put this type of information out? Why, why is it so silent? Well, I think, first off, I think the war, one of the mistakes that the Warren Commission made back in the early 60s, or 1964, they should have hired a team of forensic pathologists in 1964 to go examine the autopsy, x-rays, and photographs. And had they done that, and had that team published a definitive appraisal of the wounds of Kennedy and Connolly, along with uh, the possibility of the single bullet theory and trajectories, that would have stopped a lot of the criticism of uh, the medical evidence. So I think that was a very big mistake that the Warren Commission committed. They didn't explain the single bullet theory as well as they might have. Their analysis of the Zapruder film uh, was not as good as it could have been. Um, so there were early mistakes that led themselves to open things up for critics to come in, pick and choose bits and pieces of evidence. And uh, the Warren Commission people were largely silent, except for people like David Bellin and a little bit of Arlen Specter. And so, by and large, the critics had the field to themselves in the mid-60s. So now, um, Jim Garrison was involved in this quite a bit. Um, yes. what, what's your thoughts on Jim Garrison um, as a prosecutor and even as a uh, person involved in this case? How do you see him? Well, Jim Garrison was sort of a, a, a early-day Donald Trump, a populist who became district attorney. One of the powers of the New Orleans district attorney at the time that Garrison held the office was that for any crime, except for capital crimes, he alone could charge people. So he could sign his name to anything, charge people with a crime. And what he'd like to do is he'd like to call people before the grand jury, have them testify on some item, and then he himself could charge them with perjury. Once you're charged with perjury, then you have to lawyer up. It gets hard to get a, a job or uh, gets hard to get a bank loan. Um, and then he would sort of leave you there hanging and then ultimately dismiss the charges um, it was a way of him getting people to do what he wanted them to do. He was completely unscrupulous. And so he prosecuted or, or persecuted Clay Shaw, an innocent gay man, for the assassination of John Kennedy. And uh, it was a complete sham. There was no evidence against Clay Shaw. It took two years to go to trial. Shaw was acquitted. Then Garrison charged him with perjury. It took another two years for Shaw to get rid of that. And then Shaw died a broken man of cancer um, after spending his life savings defending himself. 
It was a complete sham, a complete uh, miscarriage of justice. Yeah, you mentioned Clay Shaw, and you mentioned uh, the the gay the gay fact. Now um, that also brings up the Oliver Stone movie, and there was yes. a lot of backlash on that about being homophobic. Now um, with the Oliver Stone movie, I think the main scene that we talk about here is the uh, the, the kind of the uh, gay party, if you will, and or a party with gay people, and they're talking about the killing of JFK. Um, so so maybe explain that to the listeners, um, what you think of that. Well, you know, uh, it was bad enough that Jim Garrison believed for quite some time that there was a homosexual conspiracy to kill JFK. That was laughable. Um, ultimately, he was talked out of that by uh, a lot of the buffs who came down to New Orleans. But the fact that Oliver Stone should decide to make a movie about conspiracy and he made Jim Garrison the hero, and he made all, and he made Clay Shaw the villain. Is once again victimizing Clay Shaw. It's it's he got Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, you know who could be more evil than Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> to play Clay Shaw? Yeah. And the, the sad fact is that Clay Shaw was a World War II hero. He had been decorated by three nations for his uh, his efforts at uh, at D Day. He restored properties in the French Quarter and. He he wrote plays. That's what he liked to do. He retired early just so he can write plays. And he finds himself charged with murder, and Oliver Stone makes a movie making him the villain. It's a horrible thing, and that scene in the film, uh, the, the, they reference it as being part of the homosexual underground. Um, you, you have a bunch of gay people talking about killing Kennedy. I mean, it's just, it's laughable. Um, and, and but he didn't really see it that way, did he? Like, uh, and some people don't. Um, but people have to realize it was still illegal to be gay in the U.S. back then. Well, you know, talk about putting. Uh, you know, I, I feel for Clay Shaw. I mean, he's outed in 1967 in New Orleans as not only being gay but being a consp- uh, consp- uh, somebody who conspired to kill Kennedy. That sort of puts a little uh, crimp in your social life. Uh, <laughs> You know, dates. talk about a, a horrible thing to do, and and it ruined his life. And uh, there was no, there's never been any evidence linking Clay Shaw to anything. Well, why do you think um, Stone went that direction? Like, what what, what I, was it about that 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 he did that? I, you know, uh, it, it's a perennial question. I would love to talk to him about it. I think he was taken in by the wrong people. I think he read the wrong books. Um, I think he was taken in by Jim Garrison's book. He thought Jim Garrison's book read like a great Dashiell Hammett novel. He loved it. Um, and unfortunately, there was nobody there to sort of pull him aside and say, look, Jim, uh, look, Oliver, this book is nonsense. Uh, don't go there. And he decided to go there. And once he went there, uh, he'll forever uh, um, defend himself uh, that he did a good thing. Hmm. Really strange, because there's really no um, gay underground or anything like that, and certainly I, I don't see them being conspiratorial against Kennedy, who was of the presidents of the time, more for the rights than any of them. Yeah, and if you ask Oliver Stone, he's been asked about this, and he'll say, oh, uh, well, how could I not make this movie about gay people because all the participants were gay? Well, he had a choice. Those participants who were gay, so-called participants, weren't really participants. They were just innocent gay people who happened to 
get caught into Jim Garrison's paranoid world. Uh, but you know what I keep on telling people? Somebody should make a movie about what Oliver Stone did. It would make a great movie. You have Jim Garrison, and then you have Oliver Stone re-victimizing everybody. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, now, um, with as far as conspiracy theories go, now um, there's there's several. Quite a few people um, are on the Roger Stone, um, Robert Morrow type thing, where they say that uh, LBJ was behind it. Um, yep. What do you, What do you think of that? Well, it's, it's complete nonsense. I mean, LBJ wasn't behind it. There's no evidence that he was. A lot of that is based on the ravings of Madeline Brown, who was uh, a so-called mistress or, or uh, claimed to be a mistress of LBJ, and she claimed the night before the assassination there was a big party at Clint Merchantson's uh, big house and where uh, basically Lyndon Johnson told her that, oh, you know, things will all change tomorrow. Uh, that party never happened. All the participants that she claimed were there were not there. They were elsewhere. Um, she's a complete. She was a complete fraud, and so there's really nothing to it. I, I, I actually read Roger Stone's book. Um, oh, I'm sorry, for my book, and it, it is. It, it's just horrible. It's a yeah. really bad, awful book. Um, I don't know how he could have uh, written that. Well, a lot of it was written by Robert Morrow. In fact, all the investigation was was done by Morrow, and Roger Stone put his name on it to help sell it. Well, and he did. I, I don't know how a, any publisher could have taken it. I mean, it's, it's full of a lot of stuff from Mark Lane and older uh, critics, and it, it's it just uh, it reads like a who's who of conspiracy uh, nonsense. I mean, it's 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 surprisingly bad. Yeah. Well, Max Holland uh, also went through the uh, tapes of LBJ in the White House, and it uh, it was quite apparent that he was worried about being assassinated as well. Well, I think I think LBJ was of course shaken, and uh, and uh, but I mean, I, you know, look, he, LBJ was a ruthless man. He did a lot of horrible things, and his way up the ladder into into the U.S. Senate and ultimately vice president, but. Um, he didn't kill Kennedy. Yeah. And and when we get into um, other conspiracies, I mean, the other ones tend to um, want to blame the CIA or FBI. Yeah. You know, um, what's your thoughts on the CIA? I, I think they, they mainly blame them because they, they're trying to associate Oswald as being um, MK Ultra, and that's kind of a, where they, you know, control your mind and give you a keyword, and then you go do what they want you to do and uh, and that sort of thing. So they're kind of blaming that. That would be the CIA behind that. Um, of course, you know. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, there's, there's no shortage of potential people who could have killed Kennedy. The CIA is a popular one because Oswald uh, defected to the Soviet Union and he went to Mexico City in September 1963 to the Russian and, and uh, Cuban embassies. So the CIA is a favorite uh, sort of whipping boy of the critics. It's all good fun and games, except there's just no evidence about anything. I mean, who would actually conspire with Lee Harvey Oswald? I mean, it's the last person you would conspire with. He was a loner. He had no friends. Uh, there's no evidence of him meeting anybody. Um, he obviously decided this at the last minute because the parade route was only unveiled like a week before Kennedy came there. It was sort of a last-minute thing. Um, how on earth could you have this conspiracy with the CIA? Where does Lee Harvey Oswald fit in? 
It just doesn't make sense. Um, Burl Bear from XCIA did that uh, mini-series. I think there were six episodes for A&E History, Little Network. And yes, yes. I, don't know, I don't know if you saw it, but he kind of he he kind of pinned it down to Oswald. Um, is that kind of how you follow as well? Do you think he did a good job? I didn't really see the whole series. I actually started, I saw the first episode and then it got pulled uh, for quite some time. And I guess it did get finished and you could see it. I haven't really watched it. Um, I didn't feel like he had a good enough grasp on the case going in to really do a good enough job to go through everything. Um, so I just don't know enough about that series. So of the conspiracy theorists and all the books out there, and there are a ton, um, do you think that they put the book out to create um, a job and money for themselves, or do you think they actually believe in what they're saying? I, th- I think, yeah, you could divide it into. There's people who really, really believe uh, what they're saying, you know, people like uh, David Lifton and uh, uh, the old, some of the old critics like Harold Weisberg and Sylvia Marr who really believed it. And then there are some who really were in it for the money, like Mark Lane, uh, clearly in it for the money. And some of the people in the JFK cult, like Judith Vary Baker and Beverly Oliver, who are also just in it for the money. So there's sort of, some really believe it and are honest and... Um, true researchers, and some are in it for the money. So, yeah, and with Judith Baker, that was a complete uh, fabrication um, that she built from just knowing him, I guess, from from working at the coffee shop. Well, uh, she worked at Riley Coffee, um, as he did. I don't know whether she knew him or not. They were both there at the same time. Uh, He was greasing coffee machines. She was in the office. There's no evidence they actually knew each other. I think it's all made up after the fact for her to take advantage of the fact they were in the same place and same time. But there's no evidence of anything regarding Judith Baker. Well, what do you think? Now, so one of the things people pick out is the fact that Oswald did go to Russia, did try to become Russian, and then came back. And they're saying that that's because he was really a Russian agent. And... Um, uh, why do you think Oswald did that? Why did he go over to Russia and come back? Well, he he was he was a com he was a Marxist. He was a communist, and he was deeply disillusioned with uh, with the United States. His his radicalism started with the Rosenberg trial, the Rosenbergs. He was radicalized by some leaflets in New York City, um, and he started reading up a lot on Marxism and communism. Became fascinated with it, and decided that he would take the plunge and defect to the Soviet Union. He was very young. Of course, uh, life in the Soviet Union was very, very dull and bland. Um, he really didn't like it at all. He found the, the workers' meeting to be, meetings to be boring and uninteresting, and it didn't take long before he realized that um, he had to leave and get back to the States. Now, one of the other um, key um, aspects to um, reasoning behind your book, and you mentioned this, is, is about the uh, um, using the assassination in itself um, for both sides of the political parties down in the U.S., and, yeah. um, and that um, they both use them for different reasons, and, uh, and it's more about a power struggle. Um, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, if you look at, um, you know, I'll start with Oliver Stone. I mean, Oliver Stone, I don't, 
really believe he has any real interest in JFK or his life or who JFK was. I think that Oliver Stone would was more interested in making a point about the military-industrial complex and the CIA, and the assassination happened to be a foil. He could use the assassination as a mechanism for her to, him to make larger arguments about the Cold War and the military-industrial complex and a whole variety of other things. I don't think he really cared that much about, about JFK. And you see that, the same thing with, um, well, again, people like Roger Stone, who used the assassination to put forward their, their theories on power in America. Um, and, and on the left, you see that with, even Barack Obama got into it when he was asked once, somebody once asked uh, Barack Obama at an event, where is our progressive foreign policy? And he looked up and he said, well, what do you want me to be killed like JFK? And that plays into this whole theory that JFK was a, a peace guy who was going to end the Cold War, rapprochement with the Soviet Union, with Cuba, um, you know, etc., etc. None of that was true, but it plays into a whole series of progressive myths. And, uh, and now, of course, on the right, you have people talking about both the RFK and the JFK assassination because it, it makes the, the so-called deep state implicated in those murders. Yeah, so people and, like to use the assassination. Yeah, exactly. And 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 Trump uses it as a deep state and it seems like a it's lot a of the, a lot of his supporters are behind conspiracies um, of all sorts, you know. Well, you, you know, it also it used to be conspiracy thinking in the JFK case used to be all people on the left. Now it's morphed into a lot of people on the right. I think the right have decided Hey, this is too good. It's too much fun for us to be left out of it. Let us in on some of this, this good stuff. And now you've got um, Lou Rockwell and Veterans Today and a bunch of and Alex Jones, sort of going right down the JFK assassination rat hole. Yeah, well, it's a good way of demonstrating how the deep state is in control. You know, that's that's the way they they put it towards people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, and and they also bring up, like, because um, there's still documents that are um, sealed. And, uh, you know, there was some delay in releasing some of them coming up. Um, so that's also a problem. What do you think those documents are going to tell us? And, and why do you think they're still holding on to them? Well, I think I actually know what those documents will tell us. They will tell us nothing. Um if you read, uh, again, people really need to read the Assassination Records Review Board final report. Um, when they were going through all the documents, they divided documents into two. Assassination-related documents, those documents that were FBI, CIA, that related to the assassination, and they decided to take a wider net. So they, they actually um, forced open a lot of non-assassination-related records. So, for instance, the FBI, if you were an FBI agent working on the case, not only were all your files to be made public, but all of your files that were even non, not even JFK files had to be made public as well. So there were a lot of non-assassination-related files. All the assassination-related files are out. The only thing left redacted or kept secret are those files that may have informants' names, that might be still alive or may contain some foreign, very sensitive foreign intelligence nugget of information. Uh, that's all. 
Um, and none of it are really related to the assassination. So there is nothing, I am confident, there's nothing in those documents. And by the way, the, the chairman of the ARRB, uh, Judge Tunheim, has seen all of those documents, and he's already said there's nothing in them. So um, they will eventually come out, I hope sooner rather than later, um, just to show that there's really nothing in them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So now the Kennedy family, uh, recently I see that some of them have uh, signed on to reopen the case and they wanted it to be investigated further. Um, have you sent your book to them or have, do they, have they read it? Have you heard any comments from them? Uh, no, I haven't sent my book to them. I think Robert Kennedy Jr. is the one who's really lending his name to a lot of the efforts to uh, reopen the case. But he's um, you know, a bit of a crank on a whole variety of of other issues, vaccines and other stuff, and uh, this is just wishful thinking. The cases will not be reopened by anybody. There really isn't any mystery to any of the cases, and uh, you know, people who have signed the petitions for this are basically conspiracy critics. Uh, no serious historian is really there. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I noticed that you... Um were on the CBC Fifth Estate, and it was an edition called Who Killed JFK. Now, you're not real happy with that situation and how it turned out. Um, how come? Well, I'm, I wasn't on it. I wrote about oh. it. Oh, okay. So this, the CBC, which is our major public broadcaster in Canada, has produced over the years six conspiracy documentaries on the JFK assassination, and they've all been really, really horrible and awful, and... Um, it's very unfortunate that um, so much public money in Canada is being used uh, to propagate some really horrible uh, conspiracy theories. Most notably, they're propagating David Lifton's theory of, uh, above, you know, a basically body alteration um, uh, right, before, right, at, right before the autopsy. So why do you think they do that? Like, what, what, what is their... Um what is the well, there's, there's one producer. There's one producer of the CBC, Brian McKenna, who has been obsessed with Kennedy over the years, and uh, he's talked them into letting him do all these uh, documentaries. And uh, it's really unfortunate. Uh, the last documentary they did, which was November 2017, I caught them in a major error. Um, they thought a new document that had come out, uh, the new releases of documents was new and they thought they were they were heralding the document as a major find um, but the document had been out for 39 years and so it, it, they had egg on their face and it was just very very embarrassing um, and I, I wish the CBC would correct some of this stuff well um, why aren't they held accountable like I mean when you're a major news source why you, you have to I mean you can get sued yeah, well, there's you know because there's nobody left to really sue them, and uh, you know they're they're look they're they're the the pow most powerful uh, media institution in Canada. They have a two billion dollar a year budget. Um, they get far more money from our government than PBS gets from your government. Um, they're huge, they're big, and uh, you know so it's, it, and this is about the U.S. So not that many people were paying attention except nuts like me. Yeah. <laughs> So you're going to work on a project on that? Is that what you're doing now? Well, you know, I've, I, I, in both of my first, my first two books, both have chapters on the CBC, and so I think it's a very good topic for a future book to look at how the CBC 
serves or doesn't serve Canadians, um, I, I find them mostly a very disappointing organization that consistently punches below its weight. Wow. So um, now back with JFK, um, what books do you think that uh, you've liked on JFK that you would recommend to people? Well, there's a, there's a number of really, really good books. I think everybody should read Vincent Bugliosi's Reclaiming History. I think it's a really terrific book, and uh, um, if you have the time to go through it, um, it's a massive book. If you want to read a great book on Jim Garrison, uh, Patricia's uh, Lambert's book, False Witness, is just terrific. Um, Dale Myers has written the uh, uh, the best book about the Tippett uh, killing, which is the policeman who Oswald killed on the afternoon of uh, November 22nd. Um, so those are those are three really really good books. Uh, there's a number. Uh, the JFK Myths by Larry Sturdivant is the best scientific book on the assassination. It covers the medical evidence, the ballistics evidence, all of that in a very scientific manner. Uh, a very very well worth uh, well worthwhile read. Now um, I noticed um, Tom Hanks took quite a hit from a lot of the conspiracy theorists, and and D. Eugenia too as well was really yep. really hard on him and Parkland, and he thought it was just a liberal based, um, you know, uh, farce. Um, what's your thoughts toward Parkland, Tom Hanks, and D. Eugenia? Well, initially Tom Hanks was going to was had licensed Bugliosi's book to make sort of a ten part series. And I was very excited. I thought this could be really, really good to have a real serious series on, on the assassination and the aftermath with the conspiracy critics. But he ultimately, that didn't pan out, and he made it into a movie, Parkland, which is, you know, has a number of errors, but is mostly pretty good. Um, I think James D'Eugenio is, uh, you know, again, off his rocker. I mean, I think D'Eugenio is one of these new postmodernists. Um, uh, who you can't argue with because he rejects all the evidence in the assassination. He believes that all the bullet fragments and bullets that were planted, um, all the everything's been altered and faked, and so he rejects all the evidence and um, makes it impossible to argue with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people like that are tough to tough to deal with. Um, so, now, uh, your book is available anywhere, and we'll have it on our website as well. Do you have a website that you want people to be aware of? Yes, it's uh, www.conspiracyfreak.com, and I've got a bunch of pictures uh, um, you know, that I talk about in my, on my site. I've got reviews. Um, I've got some video, video of me on uh, TV Ontario, uh, an interview with me about my book. So lots to see. Lots to, uh, there and uh, my book is available on Kindle and Amazon and Kobo and Barnes and Noble and uh, iTunes and elsewhere. Just everywhere nowadays. <laughs> just, just everywhere, yes. Punch it in. Well, um, the book we were talking about is I Was a Teenage JFK Conspiracy Freak and by Ottawa author Fred Litwin. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thanks you very much, Alan. Thanks a lot. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.
I'll be back. <laughs>